Welcome to this podcast that is all about funding. From grants to crowdfunding, I will be answering questions and providing tips and advice on how to best move forward in securing grants and funding for your nonprofit, research, or business. My name is Holly Rustic, and I'm creator of WeGo Consulting and Amazon best-selling author for wish-granted tips, tools, and templates to write a winning grant. Want to get more grant writing and funding resources, books, and online courses? Visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com or wegogrants.com. Check out our free templates. Or if you have any grant writing or funding questions, you can always send me an email at hollywego at gmail.com. That's H-O-L-L-Y-W-E-G-O at gmail.com. I'm excited to hear from you and to try my best to answer any questions so that you can increase your funding and impact your community and the world at large. So let's get started because money can be groovy. Hey, Changemakers. It's Holly here. Hey, um, I know I just released... This is a re-release of 42. There was a little bit of a mix-up, um, anyways, in the editing. So I'm just going to go ahead and re-release this. Um, but just to let you know, all right, we're going to be talking about how to write a grant foundation proposal today, which is going to be super awesome. Uh, I also have a mini course coming up. And if you are in the Facebook group, Fund My Nonprofit, um, you will be able to access that for free next week, which is super cool. So definitely join that Facebook group if you're not a part of it already. Um, and also just one more shout out for something that's coming up super soon. And this is uh, September 24th, 2018. We'll have a 90 day nonprofit improvement plan and this is a beta group so I'm super excited about it I'm only taking 10 nonprofits and the slots are filling up please check out uh, this episode 42 on the podcast or 41 I have it listed in both places and there is a link for you to be able to go and find out more about the 90-day improvement plan we're, we're going to talk about your mission and vision you know week one is all about mission and vision week two is all about SWOT analysis doing your strengths weaknesses opportunities threats then we're going to go through project planning we're going to go through creating your timelines, creating your objectives. It's going to be so cool that by the time 2019 rolls around, you are going to be ready to have your best year ever. And a lot of that is just because you're going to be prepared. Now, if you wait until January to do that, it's going to be a lot harder, all right, because you're already going to be operating in the new year and you're going to be trying to schedule out your calendar. Um, We give you about three months to actually go through this process and preparation so you can actually hit the ground running in 2019. And if you're just tired of putting out virtual fires every single day at your nonprofit, You know, if you just don't feel like you have the time, if you're doing the same old fundraiser and getting the same old results, if you're not really feeling like you're making the ultimate impact for your mission and serving those people in need or, you know, whatever your your mission statement is, then this is for you. It is definitely for you. It's weekly videos, weekly downloadables. I'll be doing a monthly live call-in so I can answer your questions um, and we'll have some bonuses in there. So it's gonna be super awesome. It is at the beta price. Of 495 which is awesome all right so um you can definitely check that out that will go up i will re-release this uh, entire course again in 2019 but it will not be at this beta price now being a beta member the only thing you know i do ask if you're going to go ahead and join up with this group that you do provide feedback um, we want to, you know, make this the best course ever um, and, you know, just testimonials and just be engaged. And I, I know that with the monthly call-in, that's <laughs> where I can be like, okay, 
Did you actually watch the videos? Did you actually do the action items? And, you know, because you kind of need, I'm even me. I have coaches. I have people I'm accountable to. And that's how I stay on task and get things done. Sometimes I can hold myself accountable. But, guys, that is, it's not the best place to be. Like, I have mastermind groups. I have coaches, like I said. And that helps me get my tasks done because I really do want to get them. But guess what? Life happens, right? But when I know I have a, a call-in with my coach, I know I it kind of puts a fire under my seat, you know, to actually get it done. And I feel so much more productive. I, you know, 10x my company, uh, like, um, it's just a crazy amount. And I'm able to just really do a lot of awesome things. So that's what I want for you guys, because giving you a course is awesome, but giving you a course with accountability and expecting feedback and helping you work out all these items and any questions that you come across, that is going to be the most effective for your organization to really get set up um, and to really overcome obstacles that you might have just been trying to climb over for years now. So let's get it in gear and let's get it going. Um, yeah, definitely check that out. Anyways, enough about that. What you're here for today is to listen about how to write a foundation proposal. Yeah, and you want a winning proposal. So we're going to be using some examples and I am going to dive right into that. Uh, stick around. Hey, change makers. Yeah, we are about to have a really cool episode where I am going to take you through an entire foundation proposal. This podcast is developed to be very actionable. It's developed to be pretty short compared to some podcasts, just so you can get information pretty much in a very short amount of time for as much as it takes to get on a treadmill for 30 minutes and get a good workout in or whatnot or do the dishes, you know, cook dinner. And you get a full episode or a full just impact of knowledge in one bite. Today it is a little bit, it might be a little bit longer, but I do want to go over the entire application in one podcast. All right, just I want to give you the whole comprehensive view. I've broken this down in pieces before, but I just feel like, you know, if you just really want to listen to one episode and really find out how do I write a foundation application, um, you know, if there's a foundation that has a grant available, how do I do that? So I just want to give you the key pointers and walk you through this. And I'm going to use an example and I apologize in advance because I'm using the example of an animal shelter. And quite honestly, I've never worked in an animal shelter before, but I have worked with some animal shelters and I've actually had quite a few people that are in nonprofit animal shelters that have been contacting me lately. So I thought, oh, I don't know. I guess it was just off the top of my mind. Um, so I'm using this as an example, but I may be way off on specifics, but it is what you will need for a grant application. So, and this is just to say, this is just an example, guys. And and you might say that's not exactly what you need for an animal shelter, but you can see how you could replace any of, you know, the terminal or the grant, you know, that if it's for an animal shelter or it could be for a homeless shelter or it could, you know what I mean? So anyways, you could replace any of this with what is actual, but this gives you an example. Yeah, I'm really excited. So how to write a grant proposal? Well, writing a grant proposal can feel overwhelming. It can be the looming monster in the back of your mind because you know a deadline is coming up but you just can't seem to make the time to sit down, read over the application guidelines, and start writing, right guys? I mean, it can be like, oh, I've gotta get this done, but how do I do it? So if you wanna get that grant money for your projects, tough, you gotta sit down and do it. You need to sit down and in the words of Nike, just do it. <laughs> right? But how do you do it? Well, that's when we're, that's what we're talking about today, right? So let's think of this as a basic grant application for a foundation before you start writing. 
Even before you start the grant application, there's some work to be done. And this will save you the task of actually writing the grant if you don't need to. What do I mean? Well, let's pretend you are writing a grant for a project and your nonprofit animal shelter, and it's called, um, so your nonprofit animal shelter, it's called We Care for Paws. And totally fictional, just made it up. And you have a project that you want to develop under your nonprofit called Animals Thrive. Also fictional. <laughs> but anyways, you found the perfect grant uh, from XYZ Foundation and you're jumping up and down for joy because of the following. This is what you found in that application announcement. That X XYZ Foundation has a priority for animal conservation. Yay, it meets your mission. The application process is currently open. Another plus, you got to make sure, right? And you meet all of the following requirements of the XYZ Foundation. And those requirements are the following. We Care for Paws is an IRS tax-exempt registered 501c3 nonprofit organization. All right, they are only open to those nonprofits or charitable um, organizations that have tax-exempt status. All right, so if you're 501c3, you are good. And We Care for Paws has that. We Care for Paws also has a board of directors. So in their requirements, they said we also need a list of your board of directors. And We Care for Paws, Paws, We Care for Paws has been incorporated for at least two years. So in this specific grant application, which is totally fictional, but uh, I see these kind of requirements quite often. This one says, hey, um, your organization has to have been a tax exempt st um, status for at least two years. And a lot of times what they're going to ask almost every single grant that you hand in is also going to ask for a copy of your tax exempt status. So that's that 501c3, when you get that in the mail, you're approved, here's your number. You gotta include that page. Sometimes they'll also ask for your uh, certification from Revenue Tax, so Revenue and Tax, it, you know, just to make sure you're in good standing. So sometimes you need to get those as well and make sure you have those in your file um, every year that you have the ones that are updated. So anyways, you're like, cool, we have all that. We've been around for two years. We've been a nonprofit for two years. We are an IRS tax exempt registered 501c3 and we have a board of directors. Um, we already have our list. We have our bios. We are good. And we fit the priority, animal conservation. And boom, it is open. Okay, so the, the process, the grant application is open right now. They are not closed. All right, so now notice what you needed to look for before before you even started to write the grant. You needed to look at what XYZ Foundation want to fund, what wants to fund, right? So their priorities. This is very important, but it's often overlooked, all right? You say, okay, this foundation is open and they accept grants and they award $100,000. I'm super excited, I'm gonna apply. But nowhere in there do they maybe talk about, you know, wanting to support animals or community health or anything that you are actually looking at trying to get a grant for. So you have to make sure you fit the priority. And you also need to know what the eligibility requirements are, okay, what you need to include in that grant. All right, so once you know what these are and your nonprofit can meet these requirements and priorities, then get out your pen or more likely open your computer and get cracking on that grant. Most likely you will always need some of the sort of the following in any grant application, whether a federal grant or a foundation grant application. So we're gonna talk about five main things. The first thing, about your organization. This is where you gush on about your organization in a very succinct way. Sound contradictive? Let's take a look. Here are some things that you need to include usually in this part. What year We Care for Paws was established with a nonprofit status? 
when you were founded, and this is usually before your nonprofit status, and why you were founded. Now, these three things can be tied together in a couple of sentences to showcase the heartbeat of your nonprofit. Here is an example. Executive Director Kitty Cat founded We Care for Paws in 2015 when she found a tiny stray kitten hiding from the rain in the rocks by the beach. She scooped up this little kitty, now adoringly called Peaches, and she isn't so little any longer, and drove around for three hours looking for an animal shelter. Miss Cat never found an animal shelter, although she found five stray dogs on her drive that day. The need for an animal shelter was immediately identified on that rainy day, and We Care for Paws was set into motion. Six other passionate animal advocates came forward and founded the nonprofit, which received IRS 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit status in 2016. All right, so using this example, you can see how it doesn't need to be a long story, take a precious word count, or pages from your grant application to have impact. Now, if you wanted to know on paper what that looks like in 12-point Times New Roman font, that was about one, two, uh, about six sentences. So, um, sorry, six lines, all right? So in a page. So it's like mm, maybe an eighth of your page at the most, not even like a ninth of your page. So yeah, so it's actually, that was really succinct. It was, but it, it evoked some emotion and it gave the history. So you said, oh, okay, this is why it was founded. It was founded because it fit a niche. And then there was, there's passion behind it. We know that they're established organization, you know, and kind of the premise for it. Okay, so you can see, once again, how it doesn't need to be a long story. Now, other things you should consider in putting into your about your organization section, and sometimes you really do have to say they will spell out exactly what they want you to include in it. Um, oftentimes they don't, so I'm giving this as a framework, are three other things. One thing is your organizational chart, and this can often be an attachment um, so it's not counted towards your word count or page limitation, but you need to check. Also, board members. Once again, this can often be an attachment or not. So it's not counted towards your word count or page limitation, but once again, you need to check. And this sometimes can just be a list of your board members and short bios. If your board members are going to be more involved in the process of the project, then you might want to expand on their bios more or even include the resumes. And the final thing is previous grant success and program success. This is the part where you really brag. All right, so roll back your sleeves and brag away about all your awesomeness. The thing is here, if you are not documenting all your wins along the way, you will probably forget to include half of what you have accomplished. That's sad, right? But if you keep a list of grants, fundraisers, volunteer amazingness, numbers served, in this case, the number of animals taken in each year and possibly adopted out, and so forth, then this part is a cinch to write. You're just pulling together information. But if you don't have this, you can see how long this would take to get together, right? Mm -hmm. These are also cool things that you can publish on your website or your social, all right? So those are the main things in your about your organization. The year you were founded, your nonprofit status, um, why you were founded, your organizational chart, your board members, previous grant success, and program success. Number two, needs and target demographic. The need. This is where you showcase statistics and the need, not the solution. The solution is in the next section, but needs and dem target demographic is not where you put the solution. So example. We Care for Paws still has a need to care for stray animals. In fact, 
600 stray animals were brought into our facility in 2017, and we only had resources to spay and neuter 300 animals. There is a huge need to protect animal health and to increase resources for our spay and neuter program. All right, simple, easy, boom. You have some numbers in there. You could also refer back to whatever database that is. Um, often you will also include other numbers from outside sources or outside st- statistics. So maybe if you're talking about a homeless program, you would include information from the, with HUD does a point in time count in every city across the nation, you know, every year. So you might include those numbers from that count for your homeless population. Um, there's so many different things that you can include here. But I would definitely also refer back to, you know, cite your sources within your application. And the target demographic, and this is pretty simple, it's just who or what is your specific target market. Example, We Care for Paws takes in any stray animals in the urban area of Cool City. We cater to the needs in our area and serve approximately 45% cats and 50% dogs and 5% birds and other animals. All right, now that's kind of broad, but this is an animal shelter and that's what they're saying. But you can see even this, it's, it's, narrows it down. They're telling you the percentages of which types of animals that they serve. And they're saying stray animals in the urban area of this specific cool city, right? So that is what their specific target market is. So that's pretty simple. Your needs and target demographic are pretty simple, but once again, have your stats to back up your needs and be very specific about who you are serving. It's not just anybody for any need or any animal for any need. You know what I mean? You are doing specific things for this matter. Once again, remember it's stray animals in a certain geographic area and they're even telling you the percentage of the animals, um, the different types of animals that they serve. Number three, goals, objectives, and timeline. All right, the goal. The goal is what is the big outcome? What is it? What is that big thing, right? And does it connect with any community goals? So an example here would be the project that XYZ Foundation will fund will help us create the Animals Thrive Project. This project has the ultimate goal of creating healthy wellness for all animals in the urban area of Cool City. Now see how that's pretty big? And once we get to our objectives, we're really going to nail it down. But here you just want to say, what is our ultimate thing? And I always like to think of this almost like it's connecting back to your mission statement, right? Your mission and your vision. Your vision is what are you going to do? That big audacious goal, you know, and your mission is like, how are we going to get there? And your goal is kind of like your vision and your objective is kind of like your mission. Like your goal and your vision are like the big picture. And then your mission and your objectives is like, what are we going to do today? How are we going to get there? So it's actually pretty cool. Um, So here you're just saying creating healthy wellness, you know, in this specific geographic area once again. So it's big, but it's also very, you can see, it's very structured because of that geographic area. So the objective in this case, well, here is what objectives are. Objectives are what you will specifically do for your project, how it will be measured, that it has a deadline, and it's related to your goal. In most cases, you will not want to use any more than three objectives in any given project, even in those big federal grants, guys. If you sit there and you say, we have eight objectives, chances are they're really not all objectives. Chances are you're actually listing activities. Um, And that's a lot of, those are a lot of objectives to reach. You'd rather have three objectives and have 20 activities to meet those objectives, you know, like your task, right? And then it's very clear and it's more realistic and it's more doable. So for example, in this grant application, we're only going to have 
Um, well, we could actually have two uh, ex objectives, but I only put one example. Here is your example. We Care for Paws Animal Thrive Project will spay and neuter 300 stray dogs and cats by the end of 2019. Boom. Simple, easy. All right, you're talking about We Care for Paws remembers the nonprofit, the whole entire organization. The Animal Thrive is a certain project, and this will be their spay and neutering project, right? And they're saying specifically for this grant, we're not asking you to fund our full organization because grants don't do that. They only fund projects, not programs, all right? Programs are the huge entity. Projects are what you're, you know, specific projects that you're going to do that your nonprofit will do. So this specific project is called Animal Thrive. And I always say, name your projects, give them a name, give them an entity. Sometimes you can even give them a logo, you can give them a branding, you know, really make them stand out. So the Animal Thrive project, they're going to spay and neuter 300 stray dogs and cats by the end of 2019. So it's very clear what is going to happen. They're going to spay and neuter 300 uh, stray animals and cats. Stray animals and cats, stray dogs and cats, and it's going to happen when? By the end of 2019. So remember, you always put in the time measurement because if you just said um, the Animal Thrive Project will spay and neuter 300 stray dogs and cats. Well, that's great, but is it going to happen within this funding period, which only lasts a year? You know, you have to give deadlines. You have to give timelines in there to show. Otherwise, there's no way to really measure it. And your funding sources will be like, well, that's nice, but there's no time. Is that going to happen in a month? Is it going to happen in five years? Like how, you know, how can we measure this? All right, so this is a very straightforward objective, but it makes sense. It relates to the need, once again, because you said you took in 500 plus animals and you, wait, 600, sorry. In your needs example, we said, in fact, 600 stray animals were brought into our facility in 2017, and we only had resources to spay and neuter 300 animals. So what's the gap there? 300, right? So you're not asking for this foundation to fund 600 spay and neutering, but spay and neuters. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not really sure what the verb is here or anything. But anyways, um, for this spay and neutering program. But um, you're, you know, you're saying there was a gap of 300. So you're only asking for funding for 300, right? If you ask for the full 600, they would be like, well, you were able to fund 300 before. What happened to that funding? Now, if it totally went away and you needed the entire amount, the entire 600, ask for it. But you have to show what happened to whatever you were getting before. In this example, I'm just showing what the need is, right? You only need 300. And it connects, the objective connects to the target demographic. The target demographic, again, remember is who are you serving? And we said you're going to serve stray animals in the urban area of Cool City. And then, of course, your goal, it relates back to your goal, right? You wanted to create healthy wellness for all animals in the urban area of Cool City. So this will help you reach that goal. And then it also relates to the foundation's priority, animal conservation. So here we're going back. We're tying it all in. So you see, it doesn't need to be 50,000 pages, <laughs> a million words, and like take, you know, someone with a PhD to try to figure out this puzzle. It's very clear. Just stay on task. And honestly, this is just bullet pointed. This could totally, you know, if you have two pages to write this, you guys can get this done and it can be very clear. You can have all the information there. It can make sense. It actually, the more simple it is, 
Uh, and the more like you just tie it together like this, the higher your chances will be of getting funding because people will understand it and it will totally make sense and fit together like a perfect puzzle. Moving on, timelines. I love timelines. This is where it gets real. I believe that even if a funding source doesn't request a timeline, if you have space, you should add it in. Or if you can add an attachment, you should definitely put it in. It shows that you're forward thinking. It shows that you're on top of it. And it's fantastic because if you're going to hire someone new for this grant project, right? So Animals Thrive, we're hiring a vet, we're hiring a project manager. You can literally just turn over this timeline to the people that come in and they will know what your grant's all about, what they need to get done, what, by when, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful, it's magic. This is your magic wand piece of your grant. But what you're tying into your timeline too, I always put the objective and the goal on top. And like I said, if you have more than one objective, you would have more than one timeline because you would space it apart with like this objective and then boom, 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 all these tasks. Next objective. Now all of these tasks under that objective, and then it's very clear. All right, so this one we have our objective on top, which once again is We Care for Paws Animal Thrive Project will spay and neuter 300 stray dogs and cats by the end of 2019. Our goal, the project that XYZ Foundation will fund will help us create the Animal Thrive Project. This project has the ultimate goal of creating healthy wellness for all animals in the urban area of Cool City. Now, why do I do this? Why do I put those on top? Well, once again, it's just to remind them, okay, this is what we're doing, and these are the activities that make sense. We know what we have going on. I like to make a graph. What I do is I put the objective and goal on top, and then underneath I have four columns. Um, you could have more than this. Basic, for basic grant applications, I would just say, but just put four columns. And in those columns, you would have your first column would be the task and act or activity, right? So I just task slash activity. The second column would be the person responsible. The third column would be start date. And the fourth column would be end date. All right, now you can do this in so many different ways, but this is just a very simple way of laying it out. So for example, our first task in our column would be recruit veterinarian and project manager. All right, now, oh yeah, that's right. We need to hire some people for this project. So we actually have to have time to recruit. And the person responsible, the next column would be the executive director, right? Because they're already working. <laughs> the start date would be upon award. And the end date in the fourth column would be end of month one. Right, so it might take a little bit longer. Now, if you have certain specialists that you know it's gonna take three months to hire, if your hiring procedures take some bit of time, allow yourself time. But if it's gonna take three months and this is a year project, I don't know. I mean, you gotta really think about that. In federal grants where you have maybe a three-year grant, um, you could allow a lot more kind of buffer for startup, up to six months just to get things going off the ground. But in smaller grants, you really want to say, okay, we can, you know, just get this going. I mean, in some cases, you might say, in week one, by the end of week one, we're going to have people hired. And you can explain because we already have people in the pipeline, right? And then attach their resumes. Like, we already know exactly who we're going to hire for this. And that is absolutely fine. Because there might be other people already in your nonprofit that you're going to transfer over to this project. But for the sake of this example, we're going to say we're going to give ourselves a month. The second task. So underneath that, I have hire veterinarian and project manager. You could say we're gonna take a month to recruit. 
Um, the person responsible would be the executive director again. The start date would be month two, because remember you gave yourself a month to recruit, and the end date would be the end of month two. Right, so you give yourself two months to get recruited and hired. Now, the third task would be order supplies for the project. The person responsible would now be the project manager. The start date would be month three because that's when they're hired. And the end date would be, you could just say month 12 because they're gonna be ordering supplies throughout the year. Or you could even say by the end of the first quarter. You know what I mean? So it's, it's up to you on where, how you order. On Guam, we order a lot of times in quarters or monthly because of the shipping. It takes a long time for shipping to get here. So we have to look at shipping a little differently. So put what makes sense for your organization. The fourth task could be develop a campaign to raise awareness of the need for spaying and neutering. And the project manager would be the person responsible again. And the start date would be month three. The end date will say is month six. So they're just going to develop this campaign in three months. And that's a part of this entire project, right? The next task would, of course, be the spaying and neutering of 300 stray dogs and cats. And the person responsible for that is the veterinarian. So you could say that the start date would be month three because that's when they're hired. The end date is month 12 because they're gonna be doing this all throughout the year. Okay, and then the next task could be to run the campaign. So you're running that campaign. The project manager is responsible for that. Um, they're going to be starting that in month six because remember it took them up to month six, or sorry, they're going to be starting that in month seven because remember it took them up to the end of month six to develop the campaign. And now between month seven and month 12, they are going to be running the campaign. So that could be social media ads, um, you know, all kinds of stuff going on, going to outreaches, going to other fundraisers, getting out there in the community. All right, and of course, a last task and activity would be to submit reports to the foundation. And the person responsible for this would be the project manager. They would start that in month three and end in month 12. Um, and oftentimes foundations will say, well, I just want one or two or however many reports per year and it will be spelled out in the grant application. That's a snapshot, right? I mean, you could definitely, whatever else you would need to do to flesh it out a little bit more, that's a very basic timeline, but it shows you that you're forward thinking, you already know how you're gonna run this project. And as soon as the project manager is hired and the veterinarian is hired, you could just hand them this grant, even if it's a two-page application and say, here you go, read this, this is what the project is all about. I mean, this could even be part of your hiring process. Do you think you could carry out these tasks? You know, this would be a great way, actually. That's, that's a great idea. <laughs> you could definitely use that in your hiring process. And yeah, so there it is. Very simple. And that helps tie everything together. All right, so now we're moving on to the next part of your grant application. And that is the project approach. So the project approach explains exactly what you will do and it should include activities from the timeline. So it's important to do your timeline before you write your project approach. And a lot of people start with their project approach first and then they have to redo it several times because they're like, oh, that's not realistic or I'm not really sure if that makes sense. And it just seems kind of clustered and kind of clumsy and blah. But I say, do your timeline first. I mean, I would sit down with a vet in this case and say, okay, how many can you, can we spay? Um, you know, are you able to do 300? How long would that take? How many hours would you need to work? And you're also kind of working on your budget. See with that, but we're going to go into budget in a minute. But project approach. So then you write, yeah, you just simply write this out. Here is an example. Upon award of the XYZ Foundation grant of $100,000, We Care for Paws will start the Animals Thrive Project. 
During the first month, the executive director will recruit a part-time veterinarian and project manager. We will publish this on Cool City's online classified section and reach out to our members. The requirements necessary for the veterinarian include a bachelor's degree in biology and three years work experience. The requirements for a project manager include at least two years of similar work experience, social media experience, etc. So something different. And then you could even say, see attached job descriptions. So you could even get your job descriptions done, right? And attach those. Now, like I said, if you already know the people you're going to hire, you would say who it is specifically and say, see attached resumes. Going on, back to the example. We will be able to commence the spaying and neutering immediately with the animals we have in the shelter and on the waiting list. Based on previous numbers, we estimate spaying and neutering 30 cats and dogs per month for an estimated 10 months between month 3 and 12 of the grant funding for a total of 300 animals. We will track the efforts and reports each month of the surgeries completed. We will also create an awareness campaign to encourage low-income families to bring their animals into the shelter for spaying and neutering. Programmatic and fiscal reports will be completed by the project manager and submitted to the XYZ Foundation each month. All right, of course you'd want to explain a little bit more, but this just gives you an example to say, I'm going to take my activities and I am going to flesh them out a little bit. And it totally makes sense. Everything that we're going to do, it gives you a little bit more information and people will be like, okay, that makes sense. Like I'm following what this project is actually going to do. So that is a simple and basic approach to your project approach. Okay, number five. Now moving on to the one, and of course we're getting late, late in the podcast when we finally actually talk about the budget, but I hope you still, <laughs> still got some coffee next to you or you're on that treadmill. So the budget and budget narrative, this is the fun pot. All right, foundations usually want a line-by-line -line budget and short description to explain each item needed. Okay, because you can actually see my line-by-line -line budget, I will have this on the website, so definitely check out grantwritingandfunding.com and go to episode 42. There it will you'll see the snapshot. But I will explain the project or the budget narrative. And the budget narrative is really just you're talking about your numbers, right? So what, what do I mean by that? Well, first off, I'm going to start to say this budget that I put together, um, and once again, <laughs> disclaimer, I really don't know what's what's needed for spaying and neutering or how much things cost, but this is just an example. I am only including personnel, fringe benefits, supplies, and indirect cost. All right, so I'm keeping this budget very simple. So for the personnel, of course, you would need to hire the veterinarian, the project manager, and the executive director. Now, they are all in your timeline, right? So you should all have funding going towards people that are responsible in your timeline, except sometimes your board of directors. If you have the board of directors doing the hiring, you're not necessarily going to pay them, and that's fine. But we're going to talk about this. Now, we said we needed these part-time positions. So now we have to explain how much we're going to pay them and what they're going to do. All right, so the, for the personnel, I say the total cost is $47,840. The veterinarian conduct 300 spays and neuters of animals at $35 per hour for 520 hours, totaling $18,200. The veterinarian shall work on average 10 hours per week and conduct approximately 30 spay and neuters per month. All right, so... Simple, very simple. And if you have their attached resume or job description, you don't need to really add much more. You could say refer to job description, refer to resume, that sort of thing. But you can say, okay, you have the computation there. The important part of the budget is to have the computation. $35 per hour for 520 hours, totaling 18,200. Boom, okay, I know then 
how much you're going to pay them per hour and how many hours they're going to week. And, you know, is that doable? Is about 10 hours a week doable, you know, 40 hours a month to spay and neuter 30 animals? I'm not sure, but I'm just saying those are things that you want to consider, right, to un- you understand. And you're, so you know, too, you might say, oh, my gosh, we actually need to hire them full time. Now, if this grant is only $100,000, and you're going to pay mainly just for the veterinarian, um, you know, is that doable? Do you need to find some other grants to match this one to pay for the entire project? So those are definitely things to consider. But for the sake of this one, we're going to say that's totally doable. All right, the project manager. The project manager will oversee the development of the campaign and reports at $25 per hour for 1,040 hours at $26,000. Now, uh, these hours might sound weird to you, 2,080 is full-time at 40 hours a week times 52 weeks a year. So that's a full-time job. So basically, I'm saying half of that. For the vet, vet, I was saying a quarter of that. Okay. So, sorry, back to my example. (laughs) Just wanted to throw that in there for you. The project manager will create advertisements, graphics, oversee the social media and website development, order supplies, track animals that are spayed and neutered, work closely with the executive director and veterinarian, and oversee all fiscal and programmatic reports. So you're explaining, see how it's a narrative. You're narrating your budget. What are these people going to do? But you're also putting in your computation, $25 per hour times 1,040 hours at $26,000. That's a total of, right? Executive director. Now, you may include a certain percentage of the executive director's time. For this one, we are including just 5% because they're overseeing the entire project and they're doing some of the hiring and recruiting and just, you know, getting things off the ground. So we'll say this project will take 5% of the executive director's time at $35 per hour for a total of $3,640. The executive director shall oversee the entire project, conduct the hiring, attend conferences, and network within the community and report to the board of directors. So you're just putting a, a small amount. And that's okay because, you know, executive directors really do have to kind of oversee all the programs. You don't necessarily want to put 100% of an executive director's time on any one project. Um, You can include this in personnel by dividing the percentages of their time across all projects, or you can include the executive director in the indirect cost rate section, and we'll get there in just a second. Um, But for the, just showing this example, they decided to put a certain percentage in the personnel. Now, of course, you have to include fringe benefits. Some of the fringe benefits for grant applications, now this is just for the, there's all this talk, and I'll definitely love to go into another podcast about you know, DOL doesn't really look at uh, FICA and workers' comp and that sort of thing as fringe benefits. They look at fringe benefits as like health and welfare benefits. But for the sake of grant applications, uh, normally they really do consider FICA and workers' comp under fringe ben. Okay, so fringe benefits for this one at We Care for Paws includes FICA and workers' compensation. Now, of course, you have to go with what your nonprofit actually provides in their fringe benefits. Um, you might include health insurance, you might include other benefits, you know what I mean? So you'd have to say, what is our HR policy? But for this one, it's just basic. So FICA is at 7.65% of all salaries of $47,840 and amounts to $3,660. Now FICA, right now in 2018, yes, the FICA rate is 7.65%. 
So workers' comp. Workers' comp is at 1% of all salaries of $47,840, and that totals $478. So adding that together for all your fringe benefits would be $4,138. Once again, those are employees. Consultants are different. If you hire out consultants, you do not have to pay fringe benefits. So some nonprofits actually prefer to hire out certain consultants because it just helps with this overhead, you know, process. Um, But for this one, they are going to hire them as employees. So they would include that fringe benefit. Okay, so supplies. For this one, we're just going to put two basic supplies. Uh, Spay and neutering supplies. So 100, we're going to say it's $100 per animal times 300 animals. Remember, they're going to spay 300 animals. So we will require vaccinations, anesthetic, gloves, syringes for the spay and neutering at $100 per animal times 300 animals, totaling $30,000. Now, once again, I'm not exactly sure what's needed, but you can see how you would spell out everything that would be needed for your supplies. Don't use etc. in your narrative. Um, So just make sure that you include what exactly you're going to need. Now the next line item is marketing supplies. So marketing supplies for the outreach campaign include paid Facebook and Instagram advertisements, printing flyers, totaling and and printing flyers, totaling $8,022. That might sound like a lot, but you could also say it also includes a logo, it includes branding, it includes other outreach materials, maybe flyers, uh, brochures, you know, whatever you need for that. Okay, and then of course, so that total of your supply category, so you have two subcategories, uh, your supplies for your vas- or your spay and neutering and then your marketing supplies or your subs, right? But the total for that category of supplies is $38,022. Now, the next category is indirect cost. And this, you can actually use, yay, you can use this now, a federal de minimis of 10% for indirect costs. You do not have to negotiate your indirect cost rates any longer, which is super cool. So you can use this, and this is primarily people can use this on federal grants, but I say use it across all your grants. Otherwise, it's going to get confusing if you have indirect on some and not on others. Um, Just use it across all of your grants. And what is indirect? Well, (laughs) we have a whole podcast on that that I can redirect you to. But indirect costs are really what you say are you going to be using it. And there's certain things that, you know, are different things that you can include in this category. But uh, a lot of times things, you know, indirect costs may include a portion of your rent, utilities, accounting software. Um, in this case, it could also be food for the animals, the bookkeeper, and so forth. And like I said, this could be your ex- where you put your executive director as well. You have to identify what you're going to include in your indirect cost, though. So, you know, not every single time you write a grant, you need to say, okay, you know, your board has to be like, okay, this is what is going to be included. We're going to include our rent. We're going to include our utilities. We're going to include all these other things. And a lot of times those are your overhead costs. Those are harder things to get funded by grants. So you think how magical this is if every single grant you have 10% that goes to your overhead. La! Right? It's magic. It's cool. So um, use it. Um, but still, first identify, sit down and say, okay, what are we going to include in these indirect cost rates? And once you know that on every single grant, that is what you would put in your narrative. You know, a certain per- percent goes towards 
the stuff. And in this case, they're going to be putting it towards their rent utilities, accounting software, food for the animals, and their bookkeeper. So 10% goes towards that. And of course, it's not going to pay the whole thing. But if you have 10 grants, there's, you know, 100% or, you know, if you have different different grants, you, you are able to pay for your overhead, which is awesome. All right, so that totals $100,000. Boom. So there is your grant application. I hope you guys like this. I know it went over. It's a little bit longer than we usually do, but I did want to give it to you in one go. But in this podcast, we did go over what you need to look for before you even start writing your grant. You have to look at the grant requirements. And then we talked about about your organization, your needs and target demographic, your goals, objectives, and timeline, the project approach, and of course, the budget and budget narrative. Send me an email at hollywego, that's W-E-G-O at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and I'd love to hear what you guys are working on in your nonprofits and in your grant writing all around the world. Anyways, thank you so much for joining me today and I look forward to seeing you all next week. All right, go have fun changing the world. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's show. As always, please feel free to send me an email if you have any grant writing or funding questions to hollywego at gmail.com. If you enjoy listening to the grant writing and funding podcast, then I would love to ask you a favor. Please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening and go get funded.